This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. Hi, Ms. Babbitt. Thank you so much for agreeing to this interview with The Law School Show. First question, could you tell us about yourself without talking about the law? I can try. Uh, my name is Alison Babbitt, uh, and for, uh, for the people listening, you can probably tell I'm not originally from Canada. I'm actually Scottish. I was born in, in Scotland, and I've been living here in Ottawa now for about 10 years. Wow, 10 years. 10 years, well, almost, coming up 10 years. So I'm now very used to the weather and living in Ottawa, and I love, I love living here. Um, my husband's actually originally from Ottawa, which is why we're, we're living here. Mm -hmm. So he's local, a local boy. And we have three children here. Uh, I have a daughter and two sons. So life is pretty busy away from the law. And I'm a regular mum who does drop off and pick up and does lots of fun stuff with the kids. And we love living here. We love the outdoor lifestyle here. We ski, we hike, we were outdoors a lot with our kids. I think Ottawa is such a perfect place for doing all of that. Um, we're, we're pretty involved with our in our neighborhood with our neighbors. Uh, we love the area that we're in. And it's busy. There, there's not a ton of time for, for doing hobbies and for doing things for myself. Uh, it is a, a busy job. So, um, you know, what, what I do outside generally is, is family time. Um, time with the kids, time with my husband, pottering around the house. So we're, we're a big skiing family and we do enjoy to ski. I have a very small person at home. So uh, this year we probably won't ski as much as we would like because he's just a little bit too small to get on the skis by himself. <laughs> but he would like to try and he's desperate to get his ski boots on and skis and, and, and go try that. That's great. Thank you so much. And now we're going to delve into the second question. Sure. So in terms of your career, could you tell us how you went from a law school student to an experienced project finance lawyer at Norton Rose Fulbright? Well, that, that could be a pretty long story. So I will, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll try to sort of cut that one short. Um, you know, I actually... I have a, a sort of fairly varied background, and a fairly um, circuitous route to, to where I am today. I actually studied law, first of all, in Scotland. Right. And uh, I, in the, the way it works in the UK is you can actually do a, a law undergraduate. So I have a Scottish law and French law undergraduate. So really, I was interested to be a lawyer from day one, I always knew when I was in school that I that's one day I would I would be a lawyer. But back then, I think I thought law was about being in court and mm, wearing a wig and, yeah. and being in front of a judge. And that was always in my mind that I would I would be a lawyer. Um, when I came when I came near the end of my undergraduate and I had to choose law school, 
I actually chose to go to a law school in England and the law between Scotland and England is a little bit different. So uh, I elected to follow the English law route and was fortunate enough to to um, get a job with Norton Rose actually before I went to law school. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a slightly different system over there and uh, people generally know the firm they're going to go to before they hit law school. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah, so it's definitely, well, financially it helps a lot because there are bursaries available to help uh, pay fees and the like. So, you know, already in my mind before I went to law school, I knew I was going to be coming to a large commercial firm. And that really determines the type of law school experience that you have. Uh, and and there you're, you're able to choose the track that was the commercial corporate law track, as opposed to perhaps those people who want to do a more family, wills and estates type right. of role. So um, once I knew that was really the the track that I was going to take um, you know my my work experience and the type of um, summer jobs that I've done in the meantime have really all spoken to that that type of work um, and I've worked a bunch of different interesting things somewhat law related but also some that, that really frankly had nothing to do with the law at all um, and you know, back back then, I I was very interested to speak French, and we had learned French at school. Um, and in Scotland, it's not really it's not like here where you can go to a French school or an immersion. Right. Uh, so you know, I I had learned some French, but I wanted to be better, and so I did a lot of. Uh, uh, summer work in France to improve my French. I worked for a cognac company one summer. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, I worked for um, a crane company doing legal translation another summer. <laughs> so I, I did a, a bunch of different things, which, you know, I think ultimately helped secure that role with Norton Rose. I'm sure that ability to go and do different things and work in a different country probably helped somewhat then. Um, so, you know, and I think starting at Norton Rose, while I very much knew I wanted to be a corporate commercial lawyer, I didn't really understand what that meant until I went. And the, the real benefit of Norton Rose, which I, I re can't tell you how much I appreciated this, but there's a two-year pro training program there and you're very much encouraged to, to do um, a stint, a four-month stint in six different departments. So you get a real sense. Like a rotation. Of, exactly. It's a rotational system. And every four months, you, um, you flip to a new rotation. And you get four months to spend in a corporate department, a banking department, a litigation department, and then three other departments of your choice. So you really get a good broad sense of the different teams that are there. And um, I, I knew pretty early on that banking was was a good fit for me. And I was fortunate enough to spend uh, my third rotation in the project finance team in Orchard in London. And it was such a terrific experience. I I loved the team. We did really interesting work. So I, I knew pretty early that that's where I wanted to be. 
um, and I rotated the other teams and you know really old experience is good experience it's a great way to get to know people and a great way to to build on the expertise that you've already learned so I uh, <clears throat> I I was able to to do the you know the, the six departments that I had requested and I I, I liked it to stay in the project finance team on qualification and really that was the start that's such a um, great experience to um, get exposed to all those areas that are out there and pick one of your favorite and be with it right and so what would you and say was the biggest a challenge you had to face as a new lawyer when you started your career you know I think such a great question and you know honestly there's so many it's so different I think to the life that you've known before because it's You, you sort of you're you're for the first time really you're working it, it you're not working to your own deadlines anymore you're really working for for other people you're working with a team of people and you're you're really your your life is not your own in many ways when you first when you first start and I think for me when I when I first started it was the idea that not being able to finish everything that day and that some things would have to wait till the next day I found that quite hard I, I you know then I was a person you get a task you do it you tick it off your list right and I found that very difficult initially the idea that there just aren't enough hours in the day to finish this task today mm -hmm. and it will have to flip into tomorrow and maybe the next day and maybe the next day and you know that was that that was a pretty fast lesson to learn because there were so many things going on, and I think that 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 for me on a, on a personal level, given my nature, was quite difficult. Now, of course, I think nothing of it, and I'm so used to it. Um, but I, I I think that that was probably for me the biggest change and the biggest difference and the thing I really had to get used to. But the huge benefit, I think, of working in a law firm and the thing that I, I certainly didn't didn't have at university is you really are always working with other people. You really you never work in isolation. You're not working in a silo. You're part of a large team who work together. Everyone has their piece of the puzzle. And I personally love that collaboration aspect of our job. I, I love that academic conversation about how are we going to solve the problem? How do we get to the next step? What's the best solution? And getting in all the ideas and, and trying to figure out what's going to make best sense for our clients. And I think that was, you know, I found for university was, was very much quite an isolating experience. You, you, you do a piece of coursework, you write an essay, you you know, you fill in whatever the the exam question might be, whereas, you know, this job really isn't a job where you work in isolation. It's it's not it's not that possible and it's not sensible either. It's not the deadlines. 
but it's really the requirements or the needs of other team members of the clients that dictate the progress of the work. Well, right? that's it, and and we certainly have, you know, we certainly have firm deadlines for some things. We have internal deadlines for other for other things, but particularly the deals that I work on, they have a fairly long lead time, generally speaking. Um, you know, we sort of tend to know in advance that this is going to go on for several months. Um, it's a process mm-hmm. and you work through the process. There's not one problem, there's hundreds. Uh, there's not one issue, there's hundreds. A chain of issues. Right, and, and each issue brings its own set of challenges which need to be resolved and it's like the you know, branches of a tree. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one branch goes one way and it twigs into different things and, and, and really part of our challenge as lawyers is to, in some ways, preempt where those might come and and you know cut them off before they begin or right. know they're going to arise and have a solution ready to, right. ready to go right that's great can you also tell us about your very international legal experience <laughs> <laughs> you know I uh, yeah I, I've been pretty fortunate in my career and um, I you know I started my career at Norton Rose in London and I, I also worked in our Bahrain office for a time, which was really a terrific experience. If anyone's, you know, thinking of of going to work overseas, I am a huge proponent. I I loved my my time over in the Middle East. Uh, you know, and I've having had that experience, I think it exposes you to a different culture, a different way of working, um, you know, being out of your comfort zone. Because I think often in our in in some of our international offices, there's certainly um, a more junior level exposure to more, um, you know, front facing work and client work, and perhaps more responsibility than you might get in one of the larger teams. Um, and like Norton Rose is a business. We are an international law firm. Our clients are all over the world. Their their um, you know their projects are all over the world. So, you know, I've been very fortunate to be involved in projects in many different countries. The the issues really are the same. The you know the, the sort of the the documentation in its most basic form is the same, but each country, each project has its own set of, of challenges and issues that we have to deal with. And I I love that aspect of my job. Um, and I, I think now that I'm living in North America, the experiences that I had working in Africa and the Middle East, and to some extent in Asia, I've brought that experience to North America and, and now, you know, while I do do some domestic work in Canada, mo- most of the work that I'm doing is uh, in the U.S. or in Latin America, um, and I maintain still a strong connection with our um, our Asian offices, and and I and I still work on um, our our Asian files and keep a close contact with clients um, in Asia, particularly Korea. Actually, I have a particular interest in in uh, that region of the world, and. In this business, in, in this firm, it's actually pretty difficult to not have exposure to the international community. Right. You know, and I and I and I think that we're fortunate to have a network of offices 
uh, and a network of colleagues all over the world. And that definitely is a huge advantage for somebody like me who has a, a very international practice. So that if I, if I have a problem in Colombia, I can right. pick up the phone to my mm -hmm. colleague in, in Bogota and say, you know, you guys, I, I have a problem here and it's a, you know, I'm not really sure how to deal with it. Can you help me? Or if I, you know, have an English law question that I'm not sure about, I could pick up the phone to somebody in London and say, hey, you know, we have this English law issue and would really like your help on it. And there's somebody at the end of the phone. And, and that's hugely beneficial when you know that you have this team of people in the background support. to help you and support you. Um, and we're, I think we're more than 4,000 lawyers now. But it's amazing how well you get to know the people and how how quickly you get to know your network within the firm. That's great. 4,000. Wow. Uh, yeah, I think we're now over 4,000. <laughs> That's definitely a huge global network out there. It is. And in Canada, we're we're between six and 700, I believe, mm -hmm. um, in our Canadian offices, which, which, is large, which is large enough. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not 4,000, but again, we, we have, that's a lot of people, but you, you get to know these people because we're, we're fairly agnostic in our firm about where the work gets done. It's really, we're looking, we try to build teams of expertise. And if that means the expertise is in Montreal and Vancouver, then we would use the people in Montreal and Vancouver. If the expertise is in Ottawa and Toronto and Quebec City, that's the expertise that we will use. And, and equally, if we require people from Toronto and London and Tokyo, again, th those are the teams that we put together. So, you know, the, the way that we are, our business functions, not really so much on geography but more expertise and in industries and we bring the right people in to sort of work depending on whatever particular issue is at hand. That's great and um, I learned a lot about Northern Rose Fulbright's global operation so um, that's good and then our next question um, talks about the practical legal skills in uh, legal work such as legal writing legal research, oral advocacy, and time management. We wonder how would you advise law school students to work on these skills starting from law school? You know, this is such a good question because, you know, there it's a, it's a big bridge to come from law school into to private practice. And it, it's a great idea to start thinking about the type of skill set. Um, because I, I don't think anybody expects when you come from law school and you come into a firm that you know the law. You know, I, there's an expectation that you understand certain aspects of the law, but no one expects you to know the case law backwards. No one expects that you know all the finer points of every single piece of the law you might come into contact with. But what we, but, but what's really important, as you say, are the skills that you bring to the role because. The knowledge piece of it, that will come with experience. It, that that that's the sort of thing you will learn and you will you will get to grips with. But I think the skill set, um, it's probably 
a little different depending on what type of lawyer you you want to be. Uh, so I, I can't really speak to those people that are in court every day. That that's not my experience. It's not the type of lawyer I am. Um, I you know and I and I and I can't speak for those people who you know an employment and labour lawyer, for example. I, I'm a I'm a, a banking lawyer and a project finance lawyer, and in my world. Um, we deal with a lot of documents and a lot of large documents. Um, they're ongoing at any one point in time. So for me, the, the, the real benefit is to have an ability to organize well. It's essential. So that ability to manage your time, to be able to compartmentalize the documents to know where each is and to know what steps you're going to take and to find a way to organize your thoughts and organize your timetable for how you're going to deal with all these things really is, is a huge part of what I do. I would say almost 60% of the job is, is remembering and organizing everything together and, and knowing what's coming next so I think being very aware of that time management what's due next what can I get started in order to get it completed on time what's the lead time for this who else do I need to get involved to do the initial piece of the process so that the task is completed within the required deadline so I think the, these are skills you absolutely can practice and learn at law school because you're constantly living in a world where you're you have papers to to put in yes. or that you're working with other people and you each have a piece of the puzzle that you need to to put together so I would say that organization is is huge um, the other the other skill that is very very important is real attention to detail Attention to detail. Mm -hmm. And I, it's one of those things, it sounds really, it sounds easy, but actually it's not easy for everybody. And for some people it's a learned skill. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think if you're not the person who, who automatically is detail focused in, in the world of, of the law firm, you need to become that person. I think you need to understand that if, if that's not something that's just innate in you, that you need to be very cognizant of that and try hard to make sure you put that full stop at the end of the sentence, that you dot those I's and you cross those T's. And that sometimes that just means rereading that, that, that piece of paper through a second time around. Sometimes it's just taking a deep breath, walking away, coming back and reading things through a second time. And that sort of, you know, the bigger picture is important, but if you don't have the attention to detail, that's the sort of thing people notice. You'd be amazed. The typo on the page is the one thing your client will spot. It will just jump out of the page. <laughs> um, but I think, as a, particularly as a junior lawyer, the more senior lawyers rely on you for that attention to detail because we're not expecting that you know 
the finer points of the law. We're not expecting that you necessarily know um, commercially what the next step is. But what we are expecting is that the work product that comes has been correctly reflected, that the question has been responded to, that the you know the spelling is correct and the grammar is correct so I, I think that is something for people to bear in mind um, and the I would say the third thing of all of the the skill sets that I I think is a real bonus actually is is an ability to to work to work to work well by yourself to be able to just say i understand the issue i understand the problem work at it and, and and think ahead think to yourself what what more could i do what are the next steps what might this person need next from me so rather than be task specific i've done the task tick the box and pass it on you know, what's the context of this? What might what might the per, what might the person I work for need next? What can I how can I be helpful? And frankly, just saying, what can I do next? How can I help? That in itself is not something that everybody thinks to ask. To you know, anticipate. To anticipate and to be able to to understand that they're, you're part of a bigger picture, and. Be, be willing, be ready, be able, just be there and be present. And that that is is something that's very easy to do. You know, and, and you shouldn't be shy to say, I'm I'm available, I'm here and I'm happy to help and I want to help. I want to learn, I want to do this stuff. And I and and, and really showing that level of interest is is a good thing, a really good thing. Wow, thank you. That's great. I'm going to add to my list the attention to detail and the consciousness of the bigger picture and to anticipate that those are definitely two skills that are less talked about in law school, mm -hmm. but apparently very important to actual practice. I think so. Yeah. So our final question, Ms. David. Uh, we can see from your representative experience that you have worked with various renewable energy projects, including solar wind, hydroelectric, and compared to some other traditional areas of the law, renewable energy law is still quite young. What could you tell us about this non-traditional branch of the law from your experience? Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been working on renewable energy projects now for a number of years, um, and I started working on actually wind energy projects in the UK um, in my early years of of practice and now um, I've been fortunate enough to work on, on a number of wind and solar projects here in Canada uh, and in Latin America more on the solar side and um, and certainly on, on hydroelectric also in Latin America so you know the the availability of that type of renewable energy is is very dependent on your jurisdiction. There's not too many solar plants in northern Canada, for example. <laughs> Unlike California. <laughs> Unlike California. And I, I think it's it's you know, there's a huge amount of, of work in, in this area. And there are a number of very successful developers all over the world. And 
you know, the skill set, regardless of, of, of starting this type of practice, you know, in, in the UK, the skill set is the same. You know, the, the technology is very similar, no matter where you are, the, the, the developers, the, the turbine makers, the, you know, the PV makers, they, they're, they're the same guys across the world. And so it, it's easy to take that experience and transpose it into, into a different market. Um, you know, we here, we're, you know, we've certainly seen, seen a lot of uh, uptake of renewable energy in Canada. Um, there's, in some of the provinces, you know, there's been, it's been a slower progress of late than in others. Um, you know, often this is, it's very, can be quite political depending on um, the particular energy requirements of the particular problems at any, at any point in time. Um, and I think in, in Canada right now, the most exciting uh, progress that we're seeing, and we're, we're excited to, to be involved and to see what the next steps might be is, is the offshore wind. Um, and offshore wind power in Europe has been you know, has been on the go for for years, and there's a number of very large wind farms off the coast of the Netherlands, Germany, you know, in in, um, in and around the UK. And it's not something we had yet seen in Canada, but now we're starting to see some interest. We're starting to see interest from. Um, you know, the relevant provinces to buy that power. And, you know, this is a new industry for Canada. And, you know, part of the the attraction for me is the, this, the first in country aspect of it, doing this for the first time, figuring out the, the, the issues that, as they relate to Canada, taking the experience from doing that work in the UK or in Latin America and bringing it into another geography and trying to figure that this out for the first time, like being one of the first lawyers to sort of think through these issues. That's so exciting. It, do you, and, it, and it really... It, there's something very special about doing that type of work and thinking through issues with our clients because for our clients they're, they're doing it for the first time they're thinking through the commercial aspects of this for the first time and being able to work with these hugely experienced people and discussing those issues with them is is a part of the job that I personally love, um, and you know there are there are aspects to our job where you're doing the same thing over and over. There's certainly um, a, a piece of that, but uh, you know being able to to take something new and figure out a solution that that works for everybody, that's commercially acceptable for all parties, is a piece of the puzzle. I I enjoy very much about my job um, and so I mean renewable energy as a as an industry there's so much going on there there is a lot of development everywhere in the world and we everyone's seeing the, the, the you know the political willpower 
to assist this type of renewable energy. And there, you know, there are many people that think there's just not, there is no way that we can seek to power the world without it. Now, obviously, at this point in time, it's not possible to solely power the, you know, the world with renewable energy, but there's certainly a movement towards this more holistic approach whether it's nuclear on the one end, um, gas for power on the other, renewable on the other. And, you know, clearly we're starting to see countries develop that holistic approach to, to energy. Um, mm. And I think now where we're, what we're also seeing, which again is really exciting. I'm, I'm also a mining lawyer, actually. Um, it's a, I guess it's an odd, uh, an odd combination to be a mining lawyer and a, a renewables lawyer at the same time. But what we're starting to see is some really amazing innovation in the renewable space coming into the mining industry, and to, to bring some quite innovative and unique solutions to um, mining operation that otherwise wouldn't have access to power because they're so far away from the grid and you know there's there's a a, a really an IM gold project in, in Namibia that you've probably heard about and they have powered their entire mine with a solar plant and so you know the the solar along with some you know some some storage some power storage as well is really powering their their mine and the the cost savings to them is huge because they're not bringing in expensive diesel from somewhere so the concept while you know perhaps solar isn't a workable concept in say northern canada there are other solutions that potentially might work for some more remote mines in parts of the world that otherwise wouldn't have easy access to power. So th there's there's so much more that can still be done and an innovation that remains to be created that I think this is a this is a really exciting space to be in right now. Yes, absolutely. These are very exciting prospects. Thank you so much, Ms. Abbott, for doing this interview with us. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming to speak to me. You've just been listening to The Law School Show. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or at our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook and get the latest updates from The Law School Show. Career advancing advice, right to your earbuds.